Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more content and upcoming events, visit anchorchurchcsra.com. We just started an Acts series a couple weeks ago. I don't know if you've ever been through a, a sermon series, an entire book of the Bible, or at least one quite like Acts, because Acts is no short book. Um, it's, a, it's a rather long one, 28 chapters. And we're going to have pauses and you know, exit ramps and rest areas and different things like that throughout the, ser- uh, throughout the sermon series. But in this first little bit, we're really talking about the Holy Spirit and his unstoppable church. Because Acts, it's, it's, it's often called the Acts of the Apostles. But actually, it's more the Acts of the Holy Spirit. That's more accurate title. And as we go to Acts chapter 2, you'll see your heading there. What, is, what, what does it say there at the top of chapter 2? What word is written there? Yeah, the Holy Spirit comes. Pentecost, right? Some of y'all have Pentecost written down. So the title of the sermon, I got super creative with it. <laughs> the promised spirit arrives because that's what happens. The promised spirit from the Father. Jesus told the disciples, he said, go and wait for the promised spirit. Go and wait. And while we don't always see immediate obedience in the Bible, uh, in this instance, they did. They went to this upper room. And last week we saw that they started praying together. They were united. They were of one accord. Even though they were different in their personalities, their preferences, their, their jobs, their feelings about different things, their college football teams, whatever, they had one mind. Paul in Philippians 2 calls it the mind of Christ. That's what unites us. This is fellowship we're going to dive into in a couple weeks. This fellowship. And I just, as I was thinking about the arrival of the Spirit, I couldn't help but think about the fact that my family loves to have people over. Anybody, anybody else out there just love to have people over? Anybody? Yeah? Anybody like, you know, you like to have people over, but you need a nap or five after? Yeah? Okay, my introverts, high five. Awesome. Good stuff. Yeah, we, we love having people over. We've, we hosted um, one, one particular season of our life. We were in Decatur, Georgia. I don't know if you know where that is, right outside of Atlanta, about six miles outside of the center. And we were living there in Decatur for a couple of years. We did the math. We had about 100 neighbors over for dinner that year. So do the math. That's a couple neighbors a week. And it was awesome. God worked in mighty ways. And we didn't know anybody in Decatur, so it was a great way to meet people and a great way to minister uh, inside this community that we had committed to go and be missionaries in. And, you know, so we love having people over, we, but typically when people show up, they might have, you know, ladies might have a purse, uh, fellas might have their wallet on it, but typically don't come with anything. But, if you, but have you ever had someone over before? It's planned, of course, and they, they show up with this. Now, now, what does it mean if they have this? They're gonna stay, <laughs> okay? Sometimes that's good, and sometimes it's a little like, oh, okay. Um, and sometimes, I wasn't able to get it today. Honestly, I forgot, but you guys can imagine one of these. There's that bag, but then there's the rolly variety, right? There's the suitcase. You got a small one for, you know, you carry on for the flight, you can stick it up there. And then you got the big one, like the big suitcase. And then, if someone's really gonna stay a while, they might get a self-storage unit, right? It might show up with a pod. You know, the pod might land in the yard, and you're like, uh-oh, this is, this is getting serious. The Holy Spirit showed up with a pod, with a lot. The Holy Spirit showed up to stay. All throughout Scripture, the Spirit of God had come, and he would come and rest upon people, 
On the left side of your Bible in the Old Testament, he would come, he would anoint someone. They get filled with his power and they would usually prophesy, which prophesy means that they would speak true things about God and his word. Um, usually in the Old Testament, it's about future things. Hey, this is gonna happen. It was from the spirit of God and so it'd be accurate and it would come true unless they're a false prophet. But they would prophesy. The spirit would come, rest upon them, and then he would leave. And he would go here and rest upon them and leave. The spirit of God would come and fill the temple. And the spirit of God, uh, at, at one very dark point in Israel's history, left. The, the presence of God left. And so we see this, this movement of the spirit of God throughout the Old Testament. But the New Testament is a different covenant called the New Covenant. When Jesus died on the cross and rose again and ascended to heaven, he was inaugurating a new covenant of his blood that wasn't gonna be about the law of the Old Testament, it'd be about the grace of the new. It'd be about the life in the spirit. And Jesus said, it's better that I go back to heaven, be seated at the right hand of the Father, and that, and that we send the spirit to you. And so he had promised this. The disciples believed and we see in our first scene here, in scene one, you can write this down, scene, scene one tonight, verse one, the church waiting for the Spirit. And let's just get into this. Let's, let's, let's get into the first verse together. Verse one of Acts chapter two says, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were, fill in the blank, all together. That's right, they were all together in one place. So you see the unity language, all together, one place, they're still hanging out together. They're still praying, they're still waiting with expectation because that's how God would have us wait. Everybody in this room's had to wait for God, right? Seems slow to us sometimes. But God's outside of space and time. His timing's perfect. The Bible tells us one day to us, like a thousand to the Lord, we're on totally different fields of play when it comes to anticipating time, but we wait with expectation. We wait, we worship while we wait. And that's what they were doing. Now, the context of this passage, there's a feast going on. The feast is called Pentecost. That's why the chapter's titled Pentecost. And so we have this feast going on, a celebration. And in case you're not familiar with what feasts were in the Bible, feasts were time, obviously, to eat food, okay? Everyone here likes to eat food, right? All right, especially this guy, awesome. We remember things for a feast. Hey, we're remembering something that happened. So when you have Christmas dinner, whatever you make for Christmas dinner, you're, you're remembering what Jesus has done, but you're eating food to celebrate and be grateful. That's the other thing that happens at a feast. You're usually thankful for something. There's dedication, celebration, and then worship. Did you know you can worship the Lord through a meal? That's pretty cool, isn't it? That food can be used, music can be used for worship, food, friendship. There's all sorts of mediums for worship. But what is the day of Pentecost? Well, the day of Pentecost was a Jewish feast held 50 days, Pentecost, literally 50th, that's the literal meaning, 50 days after the feast of the first fruits. Now I could take an hour and really go into all the different Old Testament feasts and how this all, it's actually pretty cool. Maybe, maybe we'll do that like at a Bible study some other time. I'm gonna try to take us through and at least, at least just catch us up with a few things that'll make this chapter make a little more sense. We gotta understand the context. So Pentecost was a festival, a feast. But it was a pilgrim festival. Now, why is that important? Because everybody showed up with a bag. Everybody showed up with a bag to stay. They were from somewhere else. And so all kinds of people were pouring into town. And God knew what he was doing. He was going to do something magnificent 
phenomenal, miraculous, and everyone from everywhere was going to come and be a part of that. So that was on purpose. So it was a pilgrim festival. Number two, it was a holiday. So no work, no mail, all right? No government offices were up. School, schools were out. Shops were closed. It was a day to celebrate, so everyone was available on this day. And then lastly, there were certain celebrations and sacrifices and offerings that the left side of your Bible in the law, the Old Testament, uh, were supposed to be offered up on Pentecost. We won't go through all of them. If you're really curious, check out Leviticus 23. I think it starts in verse 15 there. I did some study on it throughout the week, and there's all kinds of different symbolism that, that, that really makes this pop. But to save us on a little bit of time, I'll just tell you about one. On Pentecost, the high priest was to take two loaves of freshly baked wheat bread. Typically the bread, did it have leaven in it? No, but on this holiday it did. And there's a lot of really neat symbolism as to why that is. The wheat bread was made from the newly harvested wheat. They were celebrating this wheat harvest. So in short, Pentecost was the time in the apostle, or Pentecost in the time of the apostles, in this chapter, it was a great and grand harvest celebration. The streets were clogged with thousands of pilgrims, like I said, who would come from all over to celebrate the goodness of God. Now, Jewish tradition also taught that Pentecost marked the day where the law was given at Mount Sinai. And so that's another depth of Pentecost that you might not have known about. And so here's the, here's the crazy thing. In the Old Testament, the day of Pentecost, Israel received the law. But in the New Testament, the church would receive the spirit of grace in fullness. And so God was ushering in a new era. And this is what God does. God, God, God works in eras and in, and in spans of time. He does something special here. And, and then he starts a new thing here. And he does all of this in different installments, in different, in different uh, eras. And he does that. But the cool thing is it all goes together. It doesn't... Like none of the eras conflict with one another. He doesn't, and God doesn't change throughout the eras, but they build on one another. And all of them are pointing towards Jesus. And then Jesus says, now we're gonna send the Spirit. So they'd had a 10-day prayer meeting. Have you ever been to a 10-day prayer meeting? You've probably been to an hour prayer meeting. I don't know about a 10-day prayer meeting. You might call those a revival, you know, when you have revivals, but those typically aren't 10 days. I've been to summer camps with some youth. Those are pretty awesome, but they weren't 10 days. Although parents would love to send them for 10 days, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Um, but they were waiting with expectation and faith. But their prayers didn't bring about Pentecost, but it did prepare them for a powerful move of God. That's the first point application in life. If you're a note taker, write this down. Prayer is the preparation for a move of God. That's why, why we pray every day. With expectation, we anticipate God's movement. It's to prepare us. It's not necessarily to... To, to cause something to happen is to prepare our hearts so that we're ready when God does move. Because God's gonna move. <laughs> God's gonna accomplish his plan. He's not banking on us. He's gonna move with or without us, but wouldn't it be great to be a part of it? And it, isn't it awesome that God wants to use you as a part of his plan? He, he, he really does. Maybe that's a new concept for you here tonight. Maybe you're thinking like, oh man, I'm sure that's great for somebody else, but I don't know about me. I mean, you don't, you, don't, you don't know my story, Brandon. You don't, you don't know the things I struggle with. But let me tell you, Bible's full, perfectly ordinary people being used by extraordinary God. So they were about to experience a once and for all event that would not be repeated. The church may regularly experience a filling and overflow of work and activity of the Holy Spirit, but we would not ask for another Pentecost any more than we should ask for another Calvary. Pentecost was unique. We don't need another Pentecost, but we can 
seek the Lord and be empowered by the Spirit to do what Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power from the Spirit so we can receive that power. We can be the witnesses. We can fulfill that great commission. But we don't need another Pentecost. We just need the same Spirit that empowered back then to empower us now, the same Spirit we've been singing about tonight. And so here's the second scene. So we talked about the church waiting for this promise. But now we're gonna look at the church worshiping the Lord. Write that down. The church worshiping the Lord. And the rest of the verses tonight culminate this scene. And there's a few things the Spirit does. We're gonna walk through this together. So in summary, the Spirit came. The people heard the sound of rushing wind and they saw tongues of fire. The Spirit baptized and filled believers and then spoke as they praised God in various languages. So let's tackle that bit by bit. First of all, the Spirit came. The Spirit showed up, brought his bag to, because he's there to stay. He wasn't just gonna come and rest and then leave. He came, and the difference in the activity, remember now, you know, the Spirit was active in the Old Testament, but now the Spirit's gonna dwell in the hearts of believers. If you're a Christian here tonight, you have the Holy Spirit within you. And that's amazing. It's, it's I don't know, I would say it's borderline impossible to fully, to fully comprehend that, you know, because it's just like, really, the Spirit's in me, like right now, like really, with what I was thinking earlier, like the Spirit's in there, like, you know, but what the Spirit, what, what does the Spirit do when we think things that conflict with the truth of God's Word? He'll mess you up. He convicts you. Why? Because He hates you? No, because God loves you. And he goes, bro, you're off track. Look, hey, that's, that's, that's not, no, 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 no. Holy Spirit filter, right? Some, sometimes things don't make it out. <laughs> and amen, amen to that, all right? I had a really funny joke I was gonna tell earlier, and then the Spirit helped me realize, Brandon, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's funny, but not appropriate. Do not say it. Okay, so it happened. I'm just, I'm just telling you from experience, very recent experience, all right? All right, so let's, all right, so let's get into the word. Let's go into verse two. And that first word, what's that first word in chapter, in chapter two, verse two? Suddenly. So they were, not, they were waiting with expectation, but they did not expect what was about to happen. Both of those can be true. We can be waiting with expectation, but God still surprised you, right? All the time. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven. So the sound is there. They're not, like, stuff's not being blown everywhere. This isn't like a hurricane that has a build and then the winds go. No, this is the sound of the rushing wind. And this is what the voice of the Lord sounds like. In different places of the Bible, we hear rushing waters and a roaring wind and different things like that. So this is the presence of God. And it filled the whole house. What did the Spirit fill? The whole house. The Spirit inhabits your whole heart. He'll change your whole life. And he'll turn this whole world upside down. And that's what the book of Acts is about. The whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested upon each one of them. Now, disclaimer, this section is laced and loaded with biblical imagery from across scripture. And we could easily spend the next half hour looking at the depths of that. I will quickly guide us through uh, this. Uh, we must understand this passage in light of biblical context. It has been taken out of context a lot. Uh, we don't have time to go into all of that, but we do have time to look at the context. Unfortunately, when you isolate passages from their biblical context, you miss the symbolism, you overapply passages in a hyper-literal way, you end up with some pretty hairy teaching. And so let's talk about the wind from heaven. 
Again, this is audible, when the breath of God. Write that down if you're a note taker tonight, the breath of God. You know, that's, that's a common theme throughout scripture. Adam, Genesis 2, 7, God did what? He created Adam, he breathed into him, right? The breath of life. Genesis 2, 7, he breathes into Adam. Ezekiel, the valley of dry bones. Ezekiel 37, verses nine through 14. There's a valley of dry bones. Ezekiel's having this vision. And what brings the bones to life? The breath of God. In fact, spirit, in our English translation in the Bible, when you look at uh, the Greek word pneuma, pneumatos, you really have that word uh, breath, breath, spirit. And, and even, in the, even in the Hebrew, breath, the breath of life, breath of God. In Jesus, John chapter three, verse eight, the same thing Jesus is talking about. The spirit is like wind, like the breath of God. And so we have that imagery all throughout scripture. But the next is the fire from heaven. What is the fire all about? Well, we talked about the audible wind. You could hear it. Let's talk about the visible fire, the presence of God. How many passages have you heard of, if you've been around the Bible a few times or been, been, been in church for any number of years, passages where there's fire and God's present? The burning bush, right? Exodus 3, God is there. He's calling Moses to this mission that Moses couldn't even wrap his mind around. So the burning bush, we have Mount Carmel, 1 Kings 18, where Elijah calls down fire from heaven. They're having a contest. Who's gonna win, Baal or Yahweh? And Yahweh, he wins. <laughs> he wins. I couldn't, I couldn't decide on which verb I wanted to use there. He called down fire from heaven. They lit up the altar with a bunch of wet wood. I mean, he just shows out. And so we see fire from heaven. But now we see tongues of fire. Now, why do we have tongues of fire? I don't know if you thought about this when you first read it or maybe read it for the 10th time and you just think about these little like tongues you know, we have in our mouth like that have fire and they're like, literally resting on top of people's heads and, think, and like dancing around or whatever. That's, that's not what was going on, okay? I don't, I, I might be the only one that imagined that. But sometimes in artwork, like you see that, you, know, you see these little like li literal tongues of fire. Tongue in this passage and in scripture, let's talk about languages, okay? This is, this is to symbolize the powerful witness of the church to people because what did Jesus say they were gonna do? Again, context. You will be my witnesses. Jesus said it. You're gonna go out, you're gonna tell people about me. This is the basic Christian life. We have to be willing to witness, to testify. We don't have to be obnoxious about it. Don't be weird about it, but you're gonna be thought of as weird when you start talking to people about Jesus. But there's a way to do it in a winsome and caring and loving way where people can genuinely see that you care about them, even if they don't agree with you. That you we can still represent the Lord well. And so the powerful witness of the church. So, so, so we talked about the Spirit and how he came, but let's talk about how the Spirit baptized. We're having a water baptism tonight, but this is a different baptism than what we're talking about with the Spirit. There's a lot of different teachings on Spirit baptism and things like that, but we're just gonna look at the word here. We're gonna actually go back to chapter one of Acts, verse five, and here's what Acts 1-5 says. For John baptized with water. Let's get that slide. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm running way ahead of Amber. She's, she's probably like, dude, slow down. All right. Uh, can, can we get one, one five up on the uh, monitor there? There we go. Yeah. So, so spirit baptized. And then let's look at Acts chapter one, verse five. And here we go. For, this, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit 
in a few days. And so this is what Jesus says. Jesus is quoted as saying that, and, and so it's, it's a promised baptism of the Spirit. Again, the baptism with water is a public witness of a person's identification with Jesus Christ, but a baptism of Spirit is a personal and private experience that identifies the person with Christ. Here's what happens. You give your life to Jesus Christ, you repent of your sin, you trust in him for salvation, and the Spirit comes, baptize, the word literally means to immerse. The Spirit comes, immerses you. He regenerates your heart. What does regenerate mean? It's what Jesus said in John 3. You're born again. You're born again. So the Spirit, the Spirit is the one who does that work, right? We don't save ourselves. We don't change our own hearts by trying to be a better version of ourselves. We trust in Christ and the Spirit is the power, the same power that raised him from the dead is the power that transforms our heart into from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, as Ezekiel would put it, and as the new covenant does. And so again, water baptism, public profession of faith, I trusted in Jesus, I already have been baptized in the Spirit, I belong to him, and now I come for this water baptism. See, John's water baptism was a little different than ours even. John was getting people ready for Jesus. It was a baptism of repentance, but our water baptism here today and what you see in the church in Acts and moving forward, what you hear about in Romans and Galatians and moving on forward in church history, it is a public witness of a person's identification with God. So again, the baptism of the Spirit is through salvation. This is what the Spirit, the, the, the Spirit changes your heart. So not only does the Spirit baptize, but the Spirit also filled. The Spirit filled the house, Right? Let's look at verse four. Then they were all filled. How many people were filled? All. You mean every, like everybody? Like even, even the people who didn't have it all together? Even the people, even like the zealot guy that wanted to kill all the Romans all the time? You know, wanted to assassinate everybody? Like that, that guy was filled. Yeah, everybody. Everybody was filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in different tongues. Again, that's different languages, as the, who? Spirit enabled them. So the Spirit, God is sovereign in this whole thing. This is not some like chaotic, out of control thing happening. Like God is orchestrating this whole thing. And this is a phenomenal, miraculous event in Acts chapter two. And he's doing something special. Again, we would never ask for another Pentecost just like we would never ask for another Calvary. We would never ask for another parting of the Red Sea, even though God might do things like that. We do not need a repeat of the exact phenomenal, miraculous moment. So what does it mean they were filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, Ephesians 5.18 does instruct us, right? Remember, it's talking about wine there. Hey, don't be filled with wine or with much wine. This is not saying that you can't drink. It's not saying you're going to hell if you have a drink. That's not, that's not what it's saying. This is saying, do not be filled with it, a.k.a. do not let it control you. Do not be a slave to anything other than Christ. No one can serve two masters, amen? You will either love one or hate the other. You cannot serve both God and money or God and whatever else you're trying to make God. So here, to be filled with the Spirit, this is, this is so important because I, we tend to think this is about, like we have a cup and the Spirit comes, like you know, a big pitcher, and fills up the cup. And we have the Spirit. Then what happens to water, just through the laws of physics that God made this universe with? It evaporates. You lose the water, like the water just goes away, or, or, or maybe you're pouring out over here and serving at church, you're serving here. Eventually, the cup's empty, and you gotta have more spirit. There's no more spirit left in you, 
And you've got to come to church or you've got to do, do some religious act to get more spirit. You cannot, like, you are already filled with spirit. The spirit inhabits you. And it's not like 20% spirit on Tuesday. And then, like, if you do something real cool, like, you might have 50% spirit by Friday. All right? So let's really learn tonight what being filled with the spirit is all about. And this is so important. You write this down. This is not about us having more of the spirit, but about the spirit having more of us. When you are spirit filled, you are controlled by the spirit. How do we know that? Because of Jesus. And these disciples in this passage, they would have known that. They would have been very familiar. They watched Jesus for three years be compelled by the spirit. Luke chapter four, Matthew chapter four, Jesus is led by the spirit. Where? Into the wilderness to be tempted, right? To have the sonship of God questioned to use the word of God as a weapon in spiritual warfare and to continue to be the sinless savior that we trust in. When you're spirit-filled, man, you walk according to the spirit. You're spirit-led, like Paul says in Galatians. He says you can either be walking in the spirit or walking in the flesh. Remember, we're walking in the flesh, it's not good. The mind of the flesh, he says in Romans 8, is set on, is, is set on death. But the, life, but, but the life that is controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. And so to be filled with the Spirit, again, is less about your cup being filled again and again. Even though we might sing stuff like, Spirit, come and fill us, what we mean is, Spirit, have more control over my life. Spirit, help me hear your voice more clearly. And so, but we, but we you know, humans, like we're thinking about, quantitative things sometimes. So I just don't want you to think like, okay, 20% of the spirit, 80% of the spirit. No, you have 100, if if you're in Christ, you have 100% of the spirit. You have all the spirit you need. The same power that raised him from the dead lives in you, but be controlled by him. Listen to his voice. The problem is not on his end that he needs to give us more. The problem's on our end, needing to listen and, and obey, right? And so we come to him again and again, spirit, help me, convict me of sin, Show me if there's any hidden way within me that doesn't jive with what your word says. So let's go ahead and move on to our last, um, our last insight. The Spirit spoke. The Spirit spoke, verses five through 13. Let's just read this passage. We're gonna read several verses together. So, so the Spirit speaks. Now there were some Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from, from every nation under heaven, And when this sound occurred, the sound we just talked about, the rushing wind, when the fire's happening and everybody is is speaking these different languages, when this sound occurred, a crowd came together and they were confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. So what kind of language were these people speaking? Unknown languages? No, known languages. A heavenly language? No earthly languages that were known. These people understood it in their language. This is very important. Now, what did we say about the context earlier? There were people from all over. So God set this up already. He knew they were gonna be there. He knew what gift he was gonna give them and he knew the results of it. And so what's happening? Well, let's keep going. They were astounded and amazed saying, look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How How is it that each of us can hear them in, again, our own native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia 
and Pamphylia and Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. It's a lot of people. But spoiler alert, 3,000 people get saved. We're talking about that next week. There's a lot of people gathered around. What, what happened is they spilled out of that upper room. They were so excited they spilled into the streets. And there's, there's some confusion, and the confusion isn't like nobody understood anything. We see that there's clarity here. But the confusion, was it, it caught them off guard because this isn't a normal everyday event. And this isn't an event necessarily to be repeated. They're out there going, how, this make, these guys are Galileans. How can, how can they be... How can they be testifying about God in my language? And what do they say in verse 11? We hear them declaring what? The magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. The magnificent acts of God. So they're praising God, not necessarily preaching the full gospel. Peter's gonna preach a sermon. Next week we're gonna investigate this sermon and he's gonna be very clear about what it means to be saved, about what Jesus did, and kind of put all the pieces together. They're just glorifying God. Hey, here's a good point of application from this that we can take and apply this week. Maybe you find it hard to testify for the Lord to be a witness for him. Start with telling somebody what God has done for you. What has God done lately in your life? If you struggle with the answer to that question, it may take more than five seconds to think of it, but if you struggle, if you're really sitting there thinking and you're, man, I really don't know what he's doing in my life, maybe it's possible that you're not right with God. And guess what the good news is this evening? You can be right with God. You can come back to him right now. You can have a fresh start. We say that to our kids all the time in our house. I have boys, I have three boys. I say, sons, you can always have a fresh start. They'll come to me now. Daddy, can I have a fresh start? There's always opportunity for fresh start. So let's talk about another great reversal as we close. Oh, I almost forgot verse 13. Let's read verse 13 because we want to work through the whole section. There's always some. Everybody say some. There's always some. Some sneered at this great, mighty act of God, life-changing stuff going on, okay? People testifying about you know, praising God. And there will always be those that sneer and say, ah, they're just wasted. They're drunk on new wine. On special, you know, guys, they got the special stuff. Okay? You might say to Dick, man, 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 they are high. Man, they are, they are, they're out to lunch. They're crazy. People will call you crazy for being passionate about Jesus. Promise. He's worth it. And changed lives are worth it. Change lives are worth it. It's why, it's why we do what we do. It's why, it's, it, I, I'm convinced it's why we're all here tonight. Especially if you're in Christ. And so let's talk about the great reversal. Remember the Tower of Babel, Genesis 11? People had this uh, idea. So we're gonna build this tall tower. So we're so great. We're gonna build it to heaven. We're gonna go all the way to heaven. We're gonna go all the way up. And you can read back through this this week. It's Genesis 11, one through nine. We're not gonna read all the way through that. But they build this tower. And uh, is, God, is God happy about that? No, because they were like super prideful. They didn't think they needed God. They were gonna get to heaven on their own. A lot of people liked that, by the way. I thought I could earn my way to heaven for 20 years of my life. I thought I could go to church and do religious stuff and it would make God love me more. That was, that was the system I grew up under. That's a false gospel. 
we can't. We can't ascend to heaven in and of ourselves. In fact, apart from the Spirit of God, you wouldn't know anything about God. The Spirit is the revelator. The Spirit's the one that wrote the Bible. We, we, we read last week in, in Acts chapter one that the Spirit spoke through David as a mouthpiece. And that's what happens in Scripture. The Spirit of God carried people along. And so we have this tower built in Babel and we have this prideful display and we just have a few different comparisons between Babel and, and between Pentecost. I don't know if you ever put these two events together. They're really far apart in, in your Bible, Genesis 11 and Acts chapter two. But listen to the comparisons really quick. We have Babel and we have Pentecost. Here's the first one. Babel, we had confusion. Remember what happened? God confuses their languages. He says, hey, come let us. This is the Trinitarian statement, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Hey, come, you know, we're gonna confuse their languages. And we're going to create this where they won't be able to understand each other because there was one language, but now we're going to confuse. At Pentecost, what happens? Clarity. Yes, there were some in the text that says they were confused initially, but what is ultimately created is clarity. Men heard their language and understood exactly what was being said, and they praised God. And what else? Well, we see pride at Babel. At Babel, we saw pride. There was a scheme designed to praise men, make much of us, to make a name for ourselves. But what do we see at Pentecost? We see humility. People were talking about God. Glory was brought to his name. And then lastly, at Babel, we saw judgment. The whole reason why God did what he did was because this is the consequence that man earned. This is what, you know, the wages of sin is death and, and you know, separation and confusion and confounding. I mean, it's, it's not good. This is where God judged mankind. He scatters the people. That's the judgment. But what happens at Pentecost? The spirit of grace comes. Grace is enacted and God's blessing united the people and brought them together. Do you guys see the reversal? And this is what the, this is what the gospel is. Gospel of Jesus Christ is, is a great reversal. The reversal is simply this, it's from death to life. And the baptisms that we are celebrating today, that is, that is what this ceremonial, ceremonially represents, going from death to life. But there may be someone in here tonight, maybe you haven't gone from death to life yet. And you may be confused, but you may be like, what are you talking about death? Like I'm sitting here right now, I'm alive, I, I can promise you. We're talking about spiritual death to spiritual life. Jesus said we gotta be born again. What does that mean? Well, it means that because all of us have sinned, we're separated from God. We're not right with him. And what God's wanting to do through Jesus Christ, through the power of the spirit, he wants to bring us back to him. But it can only happen through the cross. It can only happen through what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus came down from heaven. He lived the perfect life. None of us could live. None of us are perfect, right? There's no perfect people in here? No, no perfect people came to hang out? Okay. None of us are perfect. We all need Jesus. And he came that we might not only have life and be sitting here and be getting by and just trying to like desperately claw our way to the weekend so we can lay on the couch and watch Netflix. He came so that we could have an abundant life. John 10, 10. I came, why Jesus? So that they could have life and have it to the fullest. Man, I want you to have an abundant life. And there's other people sitting in here that are right with God, that are united with him through Christ that want you to have that same thing. And you may be sitting here tonight going like, I know I'm not right with God. And you'd be honest enough to say that. 
And I thank you for your honesty because God already knows. But here's the good news. It's not a work that you can do to be right with God. It's nothing you can do. It's a work of his. And all that you can simply do is this, repent and believe. God, I'm turning from my sin. I'm turning my back on my sin in my life. I don't wanna live for that anymore. It's changed the direction. It's called doing a 180. That's what repent means. You're headed this way. You turn around, you're headed the complete opposite direction. And I'm inviting you tonight to turn from your sin and to trust in Jesus. Trust in him for what? That his death on the cross wiped away every sin you've ever done, that you committed today, and that you will ever commit. At Anchor Church, we believe in a complete salvation. In fact, the word in Greek is tensed in a way where it actually, is, it's called the perfect tense. It means that he keeps on saving. It's not just that you were saved, it's that even when you screw up in the future, his blood covers you. That's amazing news, because that means you can't mess that up, and I can't mess that up. And we just come to God and say, God, I turn from a sin. I trust in you, Jesus. Call upon him tonight as Lord and Savior. You're invited, not just because I said to, not just because you came to church, but because you know you need to. In the honesty of your heart, you would say, I need to give my life to Christ tonight. And you know how you do it? I'm not, gonna, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not gonna give you a script. Just pray to him right now. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, the scripture says. Confess him with your mouth. Jesus is Lord. He's my Lord and Savior. Believe in your heart. He's been raised from the dead. He died on the cross for you. And ask him for, your, ask him for his help. Jesus, I need your help following me. I need your help to follow you. And just ask him for his help. And he won't let you down. So let's pray together, friends. Let's pray, let's bow our heads. Lord, we love you so much. God, we give you thanks and praise. All that you've done and all that you're doing. God, right now, I ask that you would move and stir in hearts. God, I ask that you would do what only you can do. And that is to come, and that is to change hearts and lives. That is to speak into our hearts. Be so clear, God, be so gracious to us this hour. And God, help us respond to what has been preached, Lord. We have our response now simply to hear the word and respond in worship or maybe repentance or maybe just to give our life to you. So God, I pray for every heart in the room that you would touch every heart and move in this place however you please. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We stand together as we respond, we're gonna sing. We're gonna sing about our, our hopes not built on ourselves, it's built on Jesus Christ. He is our living hope. Let's sing together. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit anchorchurchcsra.com or follow us on social media at anchorchurchcsra.